Good morning, everybody. Listen, today is a bit of a special day for us. It's sort of a Global Vision Sunday for us as a church. We're going to be talking about our vision for global missions as reality and uh, how we feel led by the Lord at this time to reach the unreached and engage the unengaged. So we're talking about vision for our church for the next 10 to 20 years. So this is an important Sunday, okay? Big vision. So if this is your church and you're invested in here and intend to continue to be invested in here, this is really important to you. If not, you probably don't care, and that's cool. Glad you're here anyway. Uh, But this is important for us. When you came in on your seat, you got a flyer that has some vital information on the back about our vision to reach the unreached, why we're doing that, some key terms to find for you. want you to take that home. These are important things for you to know in the weeks, months, and years to come. So please hold on to that. You'll have noticed too, if you came through the main entrance, the big silver doors, that uh, there's a bunch of missions displays out there. And what we have out there are information from our current missionaries, uh, the opportunity for you to meet some of our key missionary partners, sending agencies such as Frontiers. And then we also have next steps for people who want to get involved in missions, either as Uh, senders or goers. So this is really important for you today in light of what we'll be talking about. And you'll want to make your way out there after the service is over uh, to perhaps take some next steps or get some more information. I do want to give you fair warning at the outset that we're going to be praying after I teach. Okay? All right? Are you you okay? It shouldn't be too bad of a deal uh, to ask Christians to pray at church. That shouldn't be too big of a deal. Like, we should generally be cool with that. I understand the social dynamics. You're going to have to turn to somebody and pray with them and maybe pray out loud. I, I know how that could be. You can pray with yourself or cope however you want, but it'll be very, very important for us as followers of Jesus Christ that we pray in light of what we hear today. I know that some of you are not Christians and you're here visiting, checking it out. Uh, There's many of you here every week. You're very, very welcome here. During our time of prayer, you are welcome to pray with us or you can just like trip out and watch and just be like, wow, wow, really? Whatever feels good to you, you can do at that time, but we're glad you're here. So our global vision for reaching the unreached, we're gonna talk about that. Let me pray and we'll get into it. Thank you, God, for your great love for us. Thank you, God, that in that love you gave your son to die on the cross for us that we might have the forgiveness of sins, new life, and eternal life. Thank you that as we enter into that, our lives take on brand new meaning. That we're precious before you, God, for who we are and what you want to accomplish in this world through us and with us and in us and around us. Thank you, God, that... Our lives have meaning in light of your purpose. And we don't want that to be lost on us as a church, as Jesus followers. Please, Lord, please catch us up into what it is you want to do in the world in your work of saving people. Catch us up into it. Don't let us be sidelined Christians. Don't let us sit on the bench. Help us to be faithfully and vibrantly with the help of your Holy Spirit engaged in what you're doing. Speak to us now about these things. Um, please, Lord, enable me to teach and preach in a way that is faithful to you and serves your church well. We ask it together in Jesus' name, amen. Now to place today uh, in the context of our study in the book of Matthew, we've been in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 13 through 16 the last couple weeks, where Jesus says to us, his followers, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the biblical and theological underpinnings of that. What was Jesus really saying there? What was he doing? And we realized that he was calling us back to original intent, where humanity was meant to be with God, in intimate relationship with God, and we were meant to be involved in and with the things that God wants to do in the world, that we are called to be priests and kings for and with God in the world. Priests being representatives and kings being those who would help extend the righteous rule of God into the world. You are salt, you are light. A return to original intent and involvement with God and his purposes in the world. And then last week, my dear brother David Kinneman was here to talk about what it looks like for us to have a faithful witness as salt and light 
in a culture that sees us as irrelevant and extreme. And that that's the case. As Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christians, we are very much irrelevant and extreme. But what does it mean to embrace that and be faithful as salt and light in light of that? And now what we're doing and, um, with that text is connecting it to Christ's broader call to the nations. If we look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is, is defining, putting parameters on, expounding upon what he said there in the call of to be salt and light when he sent us to the nations. Look at Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. There's the command, the invitation, the extrapolation of the idea of being salt and light, that God has a purpose in the world of saving people. And we, the redeemed of the Lord, we who have been saved, are called to, invited into, commanded to be part of God's saving work in the world, the Great Commission. Now, if we want to turn to the back of the book, the book of Revelation, and see the end game, we can do so in many places. Look at this from Revelation chapter 7. Here's God's goal in saving people. John, it gets a glimpse of heaven here and says, and after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. That's the end goal. The rebels against God will be saved because of God's love and grace, restored to relationship with God. The the imagery here is that we are now in the presence of God. Men, women, and children from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It says there that we're wearing white robes. What does that mean? That is imagery of the fact that we who are once marred and stained by sin have been washed and cleaned by the forgiveness of God in Jesus. And that we stand before God as righteous, holy, pure, undefiled, forgiven. And we have palm branches. What is that? That's a biblical symbol of freedom. That is to say that we who were once bound by the chains of the power and the penalty of sin have been set free by the love and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're now free before God in our forgiveness. And so we're singing about that. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. That is the end game. The goal of God, the restoration of humanity to intimacy with God, eternity with him through the forgiveness of sins. This is God's heart, God's will, God's purpose in the world. That glorious work of Jesus. Now, we are called into that. That's part of our self-understanding as Jesus followers. And God is doing something new with us here at Reality with regards to that. Part of our, uh, again, to use the phrase, self-understanding as a church, is that we've always been a sending church. It's just always been part of our ethos, part of who we are from the very beginning, part of what God does with us. And we see ourselves as a sending church in three primary ways. Locally, as sent people, strategically through church planning, and globally, in missions. Locally meaning, if you're a Christian, you're called to live life on mission as a priest and a king, a representative of Jesus, extending his work into the world as who you are, amongst whom you know, in the midst of what you do with what you have. You're meant to be a representative of Jesus Christ right now. That's good news. We are sent people in that way. And then we also see ourselves sending strategically through our church planning efforts. You know, we've planted churches in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Stockton and Boston and London coming up and Honolulu coming up and Ventura and Santa Barbara. Uh, God's strategy for saving the world involves church planning. So we're, that's part of our sentness. And then finally, globally through missions. We've always taken this very seriously from the very beginning. In the last 10 years or so, we've sent over 230 people to 44 different countries to represent the good news about Jesus Christ. But there's something new astir 
in our hearts with global missions here at Reality. There's something new that's happening. We're beginning to have birthed in us the same desire, the same call, I'll say, that the Apostle Paul had. He explained it in Romans chapter 15. He said this, my ambition, strong word there, my ambition has always been to preach the good news, the gospel, where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. Paul had this ambition to take the good news about Jesus to places where it had not been previously. Not that there was anything wrong with going to those places. There were still needs there. There are still needs. But Paul had this, listen, particular call to go to the frontiers, to the edges, to push the boundaries of where the name of Jesus had been heard. This was his ambition, strong word. Why was it his ambition? Because of something God had done in his heart. God had just really given Paul a heart for the lost who didn't know about Jesus. It's represented in a slightly different context, but same idea when he's talking about his fellow Jews from Romans chapter 9. Look at this. He says, I'm telling you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have, in other words, I'm not exaggerating. He's not your normal preacher. That I have great, that was a joke. Thank you to the one person who giggled. (laughs) That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Translation, Paul says, I have such a burden for people, in this case, the Israelites, who don't know Jesus, that I'd be willing to give up my own salvation for them to be saved. That's a rare and wonderful heart that had surely been given to him by God. He says, I'm not exaggerating. I have great sorrow and unceasing grief about people who haven't heard and responded to the good news of Jesus Christ. God is moving us gently towards something like that as a church. Gosh, I don't know if we're going to say it like Paul said it, but God is doing something in us where we're caring to a great degree about the frontiers, about the places where the name of Jesus hasn't gone yet, about the plight of men and women and children who are still in bondage to the power and the penalty of sin. We're caring deeply about that. So now it seems as a church... We are sensing a call in global missions not to just go anywhere, but to go to particular places to try to reach the unreached, the least reached, the unengaged. Not to just go anywhere, but go places in particular. In the past, we've gone anywhere, those 230 missionaries, 44 different countries, anywhere that we thought the Lord was sort of leading us in that or someone was qualified, you know, wherever. Now we're going to kind of narrow it down and get particular to try to reach the unreached. Now, some of you are asking, well, who are the unreached? I know people here that don't know Jesus. Are they the unreached? Why are we talking about going anywhere? Surely the unreached are everywhere. We need to answer that question. And this is information I want you to understand. Who are the unreached? And what is a UPG? Important phrase. It's on the back of the flyer. It's on the screen. It's about to be explained to you. You will know this for the rest of your life. A UPG is an unreached people group. We're going to explain to you what that is, and we'll do it with a video that does a much better job than I. So let's watch this for a moment. What is a UPG? UPG stands for Unreached People Group, but to understand what that means, we need to first talk about people groups. When Jesus told his followers, go and make disciples of all nations, the Greek words he used were ta ethne, meaning all ethnic groups or people groups. So what is a people group? A people group is basically a group of individuals that have a common sense of history, language, beliefs, and identity. It is pretty much a group of people that considers us, us, and everyone else, them. 
While there are about 196 countries in the world today, there are over 16,000 distinct people groups. Let's look at Pakistan as an example. That is one nation going by our English word, but ethnically, Pakistan has over 400 distinct nations or people groups within its borders. Around 7,000 of those 16,000 total people groups are considered UPGs or unreached people groups. A group is considered unreached if less than 2% of their population is evangelical Christian. That is, it has too few true believers to evangelize and disciple the rest of the people group. Almost 3 billion people fall into this category. Over 3,000 of those 7,000 unreached people groups are considered UUPGs, or unengaged unreached people groups. These people groups have no churches, no believers, no missionaries, and no one actively focused on engaging them. 95% of all unreached people groups are located in the part of the world between 10 degrees latitude and 40 degrees latitude, stretching from North Africa to Southeast Asia. We call this the 1040 window. It's in the 1040 window that most of the major non Christian religions hold sway. Collectively, they are known as the Thumb people tribal, Hindu, unreligious, including many Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached as a testimony to Ta ethne, all people groups, and then the end would come. Less than 3% of our total cross cultural missionary force is working with unreached people groups. We must go to the unreached. At the same time, it's estimated that over 350 unreached people groups are living in the United States today as immigrants, refugees, and international students. We must welcome the unreached. Christ commands us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus is alive. His mission for us is clear, yet the task stands incomplete. Together, we can change that. Okay, that was a pretty clear explanation, right? You have a, a sense of what a UPG is, an unreached people group, group, even a UUPG, you got that, unengaged, unreached people group. It's not necessarily, this is not what we're talking about, it's not your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet. They are important, they need to be reached out to. Uh, but we're talking about particular places and people, it's generally an issue of access. Whether or not a people group has access to the gospel, or if there is a movement within their culture to communicate the gospel within that culture. And as we saw amongst the 17,000 people groups in the world or so, 7,000 of them are unreached and 3,000 are unengaged. And it's not just sort of the stereotypical idea of someone in the jungle with barely any clothes and that's where we're going to go and who knows how they speak. Those, those people exist, but we're also talking about places like Saudi Arabia where there's first world technologically advanced savvy cities, but there's no access to the gospel. There's no presence of the body of Christ. There's no movement in their culture amongst their people to hear, to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And this makes up almost 3 billion people in the world. Over 2 billion, almost 3 billion people in the world. That's a whole lot of people. So when we're asking a question about this vision, why do we care or why should we do something? We should do something because God loves people. For God so loved the world. And if there's almost 3 billion of them who don't currently have the opportunity to hear about the love of God, we should care about that. And in the, the text of Salt and Light, Jesus is telling us explicitly to care about it. You are salt, you are light in this world. You are representatives, you are extensions of the love of God. Go unto all the nations and make disciples. We should care because of God's love. We've been asked to care. According to the words of Christ. And so we do care. And we've always cared as reality. Again, 225 missionaries of 44 different countries in the last 10 years or so. But now we find ourselves caring differently, or should I say, perhaps with a different sort of strategy in mind. With a different sort of strategy in mind. 
It's not that people don't need to go to other places and different things they do, but we as a church are really feeling called over the next decade or two to be strategic. And that is largely informed by what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14. He said this, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, there's that phrase, and then the end will come. Now the end is talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Not when things cease to exist, that's not the plan of God, but when Christ returns to establish his kingdom and fullness and to judge the world. Until then, we have been given a task to take the good news about Jesus to every single tongue, tribe, and nation in the world. Jesus has explicitly given us, his followers, his church, a task to finish. So if we're going to be the responsible church, if we're going to want to obey Jesus, then we should begin to, and this is where we're at, we should begin to ask the question, well, how are we doing with that task? What's the progress? How's it coming along? Is there anything left to do? How might we be involved and contribute? That's the sort of question that we're asking. So I'd like to explain that to us via another video because it can do so better than I can. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C. C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 
87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all missions' money, going to World A, the least-reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? That's a fair question. In light of the love of God for the world, his plan to save men and women and children from the power and the penalty of sin. What Christ has told us is his followers, that we are salt and light, told to go to the nations and make disciples. In light of the end game of God gathering every tongue, tribe, and nation around himself in glory, forgiveness, freedom, and joy. In light of that, that was a fair question posed to us. What are we going to do about it? So we're saying as reality, we want to do something about it. We want to do something about it. We want to be like Paul and say, you know what? Our ambition is to preach the gospel where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. That is the beginnings of what we feel God is doing in us. We've always cared, but we're starting to care in a different way. We're beginning to care with some missional clarity, right? It's becoming a little more pinpoint as to how we think we ought to invest and work. We want to become more particular about it. Quite frankly, we want to see in our generation the task finished. Jesus gave us a task. We want to see it finished in our generation. We don't want to leave it to someone else. We don't want to say, well, someday someone will go and tell those people I have no opportunity to hear. We want to do something about it. We believe that God is calling us to that. So as a church, we're making some sweeping changes. We will no longer send people on mission trips in general. We're going to try to send in particular to the unreached, the unengaged, where there is the least amount of access is what we're going to try to do, access to the gospel. In particular, to where the name of Christ has never been heard. Our heart formed by the word of God is that we want to make the greatest possible impact on the lost we can for the glory of God. All mission is good. The other stuff going on, all all of it is good. But we're asking at this stage in the life of our church, we'll turn 13 this year, in the life of our church, what is best? All mission is good, but what is best? What should we really focus on? We want to make lasting generational impact for the lost. We want to obey Jesus in that. And quite frankly, we are somewhat appalled by the imbalance of where resources are going. So as reality, we want to participate in correcting the imbalance. We've been part of the imbalance. And now it's been brought to attention. And I think that it's an ungodly imbalance Only 3% of the world's Christian missionary force going to UPGs, unreached people groups. Less than 1% of all Christian giving going to them. That, it just seems wrong to us. It seems wrong. It doesn't seem like it's the way it ought to be. There's a great imbalance when 97% of our missionary resources are going to places where it's already gone. It's not that those things don't need to still happen. They do. But how can we be most effective? We want to begin to correct the imbalance. So we're not going to blame the church. We're not going to blame history. We're not going to look in the outside. We're going to look at ourselves and say, let's start with us. Let's be the change. Let's make the change. Let's begin to correct the imbalance. Jesus told us that there would be this imbalance. He said in Matthew, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's going to be a real problem with people wanting to go. So pray to the Lord that he would send laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. That's what we're doing. So sweeping changes. 
we are heading toward a place and a space of committing 100% of our missionary resources in the future to go to where there is the least amount of access, the unreached, the unengaged, the hard to reach. 100%. Now, we, yeah, praise God if you want to. It's a little bit extreme, but such we are. And the imbalance is so radically off. There needs to be some, some, some radical correction. Now, we have missionaries all around the world right now that we are committed to and we'll continue to be committed to them. We're not going to abandon anybody. We're not pulling anybody's funding. We'll continue to do that as is right and we'll work on transition periods. Those are still valid, important things and we're very much committed to the people that we're in partnership with around the world. But going forward in the future, we're heading toward committing 100% of our financial resources and our sending resources to going to the places that have the least access to the gospel. That will be our plan for the next couple of decades. So what are we doing then to head toward that? What is our current plan? What are we doing to endeavor to be faithful as a sending church to call, that is called to the unreached? Well, right now we're just in the communication phase of it, right? This is just being birthed in our hearts. Those elders we've been praying for two years now, along with the global missions team and others in our sending structure here at the church. But right now we're communicating Jesus's command. We're trying to make it clear what we think the Lord has called us to do and what he's asking us to do in particular at this time. And then we're connecting it with our own lives and the life of our church and our own vision. So that's where we are right now. That's all that's happening right now really is we're communicating right? What we feel the Lord is saying and trying to let it connect by his spirit with our hearts, connect with the life of our church, with our global vision. That's where we're at. We are also trying to develop a clear strategy to reach the unreached and to engage the unengaged. We're not just going to be sort of, you know, willy-nilly. We're trying to have a real strategy about that. So part of that I just revealed to you, part of that has to do with resource allocation. We're going to move all of our missionary resources to that. We're actually going to increase the percent of our budget that we give as well overall. We're developing strategic partnerships. This is a big endeavor. We can't do it alone, and there are people who've been doing it for a long time that we will partner with. So this past year, I took a few different trips along with other elders and leaders in the church to meet with organizations such as Frontiers, who are represented here today outside a couple of weeks down at Reality Ventura. They'll be there. Uh, they're going to be strategic partners for, w- with us along with others to help us begin to do this because they know a lot that we don't know. We're beginning to learn how to train missionaries for long-term engagement, for long-term engagement. And then what we want to do is raise up church-based teams. We already have little beginnings of a couple of church-based teams. We want to raise up church-based teams. That means people from our own church that will commit themselves to going for the long term to unreach places and spaces and people. People from our own church. So we're not just saying, yeah, we're going to throw money at it. And we're not saying to someone else, you go. Or we're not saying to someone else, oh, they're going over there. Well, we'll just kind of write them a check. We're saying we want to go. As a church, we're raising up church-based teams from within. We're praying that we could send hundreds of teams. We're just asking God. Right, we're just praying that God would raise up all these teams. We have the beginning of two, maybe, sort of, kind of right now. We're praying that God would raise up these teams that would go. Now, this is long-term hard work, right? It's years in preparation to go, so no one's going tomorrow. And then it's years in hard work on the ground until and if you see anything at all. So a lot of the mission work that we've done in the past has had some pretty relatively tangible short-term payoff. We're going to go there and build this thing, or we're going to go there and start this thing, or we're going to go there and help those people. And you could go there and you could see it and you could say, oh, awesome, there was some short-term payoff. And that was important and valuable and good. This is not short-term. This is long-term. And in the short-term, it'll be hard to see any sort of payoff whatsoever. It'll just be a lot of hard work and training and prayer and commitment. I mean, we're talking about the kind of stuff like Meryl and Teresa Dick, our missionaries down in South America, right? Who almost 40 years ago went down to South America because God called them, found an unreached people group, moved in among them, learned the language which took years, gave the language an alphabet because they didn't have one, 
years later, once they learn the culture and the language and all of that, begin to communicate the gospel in a way that would be meaningful to them, saw people get saved, discipled them, saw leaders developed, started churches that are now starting other churches, and then they translated the Bible into their language, and here's a copy right now. It says, I don't know what it says. It's crazy looking. But that was, that was almost 40 years of hard work, right? Short-term payoff, there wasn't any with any of it. But the long-term payoff is Revelation chapter seven. Every tongue, tribe, and nation gathered around Jesus in forgiveness and freedom and joy. And can you imagine the dicks when they get there that day and they see that people group there worshiping Jesus? Do you think they're gonna say, well, it wasn't worth it? It will have been worth it. It will have literally in many ways cost them their whole lives. But it will have been worth it. Those are the kind of things that we're praying for. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about. So right now we are also in the process of discovering the call to certain people and places. People and places in particular. Right? There's about 7,000 unreached people groups, 3,000 unengaged unreached people groups. And we're just asking the Lord, well, where would you have us go, Lord? We've got a couple leadings. We've got some leadings and, and maybe some openings and some interest in the Arab Peninsula and in Indonesia. The Arab Peninsula and in Indonesia are two places that we're praying about. I can't give you too much information because countries in the Arab Peninsula are generally closed countries that are hostile toward Christians and closed to missionaries. These are the kind of places where people lose their lives for representing Jesus Christ. Praying about that. We've got people in our church who have been praying for years that we're working with to prepare to go. We'll, we'll, We'll add people to that, Lord willing. I mean, this is where Mecca and Medina are. These are gnarly, gnarly places. Praying about Indonesia, the, the, the world's largest Muslim population is in Indonesia. It's a little more open to Christian missionaries. In July, myself and another elder are going to go and spy out the land there. There's 17,000 islands. We're going to one of them because I heard that there are 1.4 million unreached people there and about 20 epic surf spots. <laughs> the will of God. God's will aligning before my very eyes. So I'm not going long-term, but I'm going to check it out. But these are things and places that we're praying about, areas that we're just asking the Lord. Now, if you were listening there, you, you realize that we're talking mostly so far about Muslims and reaching to them. Why is that? Well, there's Not all unreached people in the world are Muslims, obviously. But given the birth rate and conversion rate within Islam, they are officially the fastest growing religion in the world. And now one out of every four humans on earth identifies with Islam. One out of every four. And they're having a greater impact on the entire globe than anyone else in the world. If you turn on the news... It almost always, no matter where it is in the world, has to do in some way with Islam. Something going on with that. So it's, it's a big deal. And besides that, it seems to be from our studies that God is doing something radical amongst Muslims. We're hearing stories over and over of Jesus appearing to them in dreams and visions and people and whole groups and families getting saved. There's whole books being written about it now. I think one is called A Wind in the House of Islam that you can read about the way that Jesus is revealing himself to Muslims as the only unique true savior of the world. It seems that God is doing something because God loves people and there are a lot of people with huge influence in the world right now. So we're open to other things, but God is really stirring in us with regards to that now. And and besides that, for obvious reasons, there's just not a lot of Christian missionaries that are going to those people and to those places. So what we want to do long-term is send church-based teams there 
that will then work long-term towards seeing people put their faith in Jesus Christ and then start churches there, right? So what we're looking for is to have uh, viable indigenous church planting movements take place. That's how we will know when a people group is reached. Let's talk about that for a moment. How do you know when a people group is reached? Does it mean that we show up on a plane and we're like, well, you guys have never heard. And now we set up a stage and we do it at 110 decibels. And then we're like, they're reached and we leave. Is that it? No, that's not it. Is it uh, every single person in that people group needs to hear? That's not even possible. There's people being born. There's people dying. That's not the way it works. We don't talk about every single person. We don't talk about a megaphone. We talk about a church for every people a church for every people group because the way that the gospel spreads within a culture is through churches in that culture and people of the church. And so we're looking to establish viable indigenous church planting movements. That's called the essential missionary task, right? That's what we're trying to do is go there and start a church and see that church multiply. It's viable, right? Which means it can be self-sustaining. We're not talking about, oh, we're we're rich Americans. Let's give money forever. No, it's got to become viable, self-sustaining because that's the way that it spreads within a culture. It's indigenous, meaning it's not going to have an American pastor. It will eventually have leaders on the ground. It will be made up of locals. And it is a movement, meaning it reproduces. In its DNA is reproduction. Because again, the way that the, the gospel spreads within these cultures is through the culture itself. Christians who have become part of the church and then churches being established in a multiplication sort of basis. And when there is a church planting movement established within a people group, then missiologists and we would say, okay, they're reached. They're going to evangelize their own people now. That's what that means. They're able to begin to evangelize their own people. So who's the next unreached people group? So church planting is key. That's a huge part of our DNA. We've always planted churches since the very beginning. But this is a different thing. So I want us to get a different picture in our head. When we think about church planting, you know, most reality churches are 300 to almost 4,000 people. We're talking big churches. Uh, That's not what we're talking about amongst unreached peoples. Big churches can flourish there, but big churches have some real liabilities. Uh, Liabilities, excuse me. One of them being uh, the ability to multiply easily because they're so huge and structure-laden. Here's a picture of Reality San Francisco recently. There's Reality San Francisco. And we purposely cut off half of the room. The other half is bigger than the four half. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there, right? That's kind of like reality church plant. We do those things. And uh, from what we're able to tell, Reality San Francisco is now the largest Protestant church ever in the history of San Francisco. So, glory to God. That's certainly in spite of us, not because of us. That's certainly by God's grace and for his own glory. But that's not what we're talking about. Here's why. If Reality San Francisco ceased to exist in that city, there's still other churches in that city through whom the gospel would spread. So they don't necessarily have to have in their DNA or have a vision to reproduce in their area. If they were only ever just Reality San Francisco, that would be okay. There's other churches there. We're talking about small churches that can multiply because they have to multiply because if they didn't exist, then there would be no gospel there and no gospel spreading. That's the way the gospel is spreading in these cultures. So they have to be easily multipliable. So we're, we're talking more about a picture like this. There's a church, right? There, there's a church. So small groups of believers who are gathered who can then lead others to Christ and say, listen, dude, there's no other churches. We're on this island of 1.4 billion people. We have one church. We better not just build a big building and all be here together. We better spread out. There's six of us, three of you go. You're a church. (laughs) And then begin to multiply. Church planting movements, viable indigenous church planting movements is what we're talking about. Now, obviously, we didn't invent any of this. God is already doing this, right? This is what we try to do. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, was it Jonathan Edwards? Sounds good. Jonathan Edwards once said, the great task of every generation is to discover in which way the spirit is moving and go in that direction. In other words, what is God up to? Let's be a part of it. That's what we're trying to do here. God, God is already doing this. And I need you to hear this because you won't hear this many places. But we are living 
in an unprecedented moment of God's movement amongst the lost. God is moving amongst the lost in our time right now in an unprecedented way. We turn on the news, we read books, and we hear a lot about the growth of terrorism, the growth of secularism, the growth of consumerism, the growth of Islam. We hear about how the church is shrinking in the West and the church is dead in Europe and millennials are leaving the church in America by the droves. And all of that might be true. But here's what is also true. More people have followed Jesus Christ, put their faith in Jesus Christ in the last 100 years than in all the previous centuries combined. Did you know that? You didn't know that. More people have put their faith in Jesus Christ in the last 100 years than in all the previous centuries combined. God is doing something radical in our lifetime. Right now, in an unprecedented way, let me show you some empirical data. Give me, please, Jen, the second chart. This is a, I know you can't probably see it, but I'll just explain it briefly. Practicing Christians is a percentage of total population since 1900, okay? So on the x-axis, all the way at the left is the year 1900. At the far right is the current time, or 2010. On the Y, or vertical axis, is a percentage of world population that Christians are, going from 0 to 14. In the year 1900, Christians made up 2.5% of the world population. That's not that much. And it took us 1,800 years to get there. 1,800 years from Jesus till then to grow to 2.5%. And then... From 1900 to 1970, it went from 2.5% to 5%. Now there's a dramatic increase in growth. Now it's doubled in just 70 years. Oh, something then happened in the 70s, right? Vince, right? Something happened in the 70s, right, Doug? I mean, I was born in 72. It might have been me. No, it wasn't me. But something happened in the 70s because that's where the chart just goes, that's where the chart just begins to go up. And in 40 years now, it's gone from 5% to 12%. Unprecedented growth in the Christianity, in Christianity in our lifetime. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? God is moving in our lifetime in an unprecedented way. There are more Christians alive today than in all the previous generations put together. At the end of the first century, there was one Christian for every 360 people in the world. Now there's one for every seven practicing Christians. God is doing something unprecedented in our lifetime amongst the lost. And what I'm saying is as a church, I don't want us to miss it. I don't want to just sit here in the coastlands and and miss what God is doing amongst the lost because it's true. The church in America is shrinking and it's true. The church in Europe is almost dead and it's true that we have a role to work toward those things but it is also true that God is moving radically amongst the unreached to save millions of people and he's calling us to be a part of it and that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing of grace. He's calling us to be a part of it. He's inviting us into it. And I don't want us to miss that. So this is such a big endeavor. It's got to be God. You know what I mean? Like I've given you some stats and I showed you some videos and I got excited, but that's not going to change the world. That's not going to move you to do anything. It's got to be a move of God in us. And amongst the elders and the global missions team and the senders, God has been moving in us. And now we're inviting the whole church saying, do you see it? You feel it? God is calling us to begin to engage and be strategic in this way. It's got to be God in you. Can't be coerced, can't be manufactured. It's got to be a move of the Holy Spirit in you. And then it has to take expression. We've got to be willing to do something about it. We're not just going to write checks. We're not going to put it in the hands of someone else. We're going to endeavor to obey Jesus ourselves, correct this great imbalance, and see the task finished in our lifetime. So as you could probably guess, we're going to say that it starts with prayer, right? It starts with prayer. Any any genuine move of God always starts with prayer. 
So here's what I'm going to ask you guys to pray. Okay, we're going to take a few minutes and pray together. And then we'll just sing one song and we'll be done. But let, let's give ourselves to this now, church. We can't hear the things that we've heard today about God's love, God's plan, the invitation, the need, and not really take a few minutes to pray. That would be weird. So we've got to take a few minutes to pray. So remember Christ's words where he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech, pray, ask the Lord to send out workers into his harvest. And I'll give you five prayer points. You can put them all up, Jen. Number one, we're going to pray that God would help us to care about what he cares about. Do you know how important of a prayer that is? I pray that prayer every single day. If I don't pray that prayer, I care about surfing and hunting. I have to pray that prayer for my own heart and the purposes of God all the time. God, help me to care about what you care about in this world. It's a daily prayer of the Christian. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a a daily prayer of the Christian. Uh, Number two, ask God what part you have to play in reaching the unreached. You know, we're praying that hundreds from our body over the next couple decades would go. Hundreds won't go. But everyone can help others to go We should all either be goers or senders, right? If we're not called to go, that's totally cool. Well, how can we enable, help, serve, love, cover, give to those who are going, right? Let's not just sit on the sidelines. How can we all be involved? So just just honestly ask God today, God, I've been presented with a lot of information today. I'm hearing your heart for these things. What would you have me do about it? If he says nothing, fine. If he says something, obey. Number three, Ask that God would send many of us to the unreached. Number four, pray for the 3% that are already out there, the ones that are already doing it, on the frontiers, on the fringes, pushing the mission forward. Let's cover them in prayer today. And finally, pray that together as a church, we would obey Jesus' call to the nations. This isn't an easy call. This isn't an easy call. It's not a matter of preference. It's not about what we want to do. It's not a matter of convenience. It's not merely a matter of need. We really feel that this is what Jesus is calling us to do as reality. So pray that we would obey. It means all of us together. All of us together obeying, okay? Does that make sense? Is that cool? Okay, so we'll just take like 10 or 15 minutes. Listen, if it's too sort of uncomfortable for you to pray with the people around you, that's totally cool. Just work through the prayer points on your own. If you're able to, get with some people around you and pray out loud. It's a beautiful sound when everyone's trying to outpray each other loud. Uh, all at the same time, God can sort it out. Don't worry about it. But let's actually be Christians and take a few minutes and pray, okay? Ready, go. Turn to some people, grab them, start to pray.